we do not have a per se Mother's Day sermon. But it is a parent's sermon, so close enough you can pay attention. Today we're going to look at our children, our descendants, and really the great blessing that they are or that they should be to us. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at Joshua's declaration of, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and what a great and awesome thing to say, you know, and have it real and have it uh, be a goal of your life to serve the Lord. But we live in a world where Christian standards are becoming more and more obsolete. I want you to know you can now go to a place like Target and use the bathroom of your choice. How wonderful. This kind of makes parents and grandparents a little more careful when our children need to use the bathroom out in public. I have three granddaughters and four grandsons. And in the past, when I would take them shopping or do something with them, I would stand guard at the bathroom door. May have to take them in with me now. <laughs> we have to be more vigilant as our world changes so rapidly around us. But let's read the last part of the last chapter of Joshua, which is Joshua chapter 24. We'll look at verses 29 through 33. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him with, within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Sarah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of, north side of Mount Ga Gaash. <laughs> Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up, brought up out of Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. In these last verses of the last chapter of Joshua, we find Joshua dying at 110 years old. He's buried there at Timnah, Timnah Sarah, in the mountains of Ephraim. And we see that the nation of Israel serves the Lord all the days that Joshua led them. They're also serving the Lord as these elders of the different tribes begin to outlive Joshua. And soon they will die off. And we'll get into that as we get into Judges uh, probably next week. But I think it's very important that we live a life giving our children and our grandchildren 
a Christian good example to follow. That is a rich heritage. Not only is Joshua buried in the land of promise, but the bones of Joseph they have brought up out of Egypt and the bones of Joseph are going to be buried now in the promised land. The Orthodox Jew still honors the bones of the deceased. They will bury a body. They will not embalm that body. They'll bury a body and several months later they'll go uh, open up that casket or whatever and the flesh by now has kind of decayed and rotted away and they open that casket and they take the bones apart and put them into what they call an ossuary and it's a little small box the longest bone being your uh, thigh bone and they put these bones in a box and this is what they have brought up out of Egypt with Joseph's bones in it it's nothing more than a little burial box and Joseph before he died in Egypt in in Hebrews we read he gave instruction to the leaders of Israel when you leave Egypt on your exodus take my bones out of Egypt Joseph wants to be buried in the promised land or at least his bones and he made the leaders of Israel swear an oath that when you leave Egypt Take my bones with you. And this is recorded in Genesis 50 and Exodus 13. A peculiar request probably in, in the world that we live in today. As a pastor, part of my duties will sometimes fall upon me doing a funeral service. I've done several. And... It's an easy task when you know that that person that has died was a believer. That's an easy one. It's easy to give hope, to encourage your family and loved ones that the person that has died is now present with Christ. We have those promises in Scripture. However... If you have an unbeliever in your family, you may not want to get me to do the funeral because I refuse to glorify an unbeliever in their death. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be cruel, but I'm not going to try to preach them into heaven after they've died. And I will usually say something along the lines of, if John Doe were here today, he would be quick to declare to us what we believe is important, insinuating that he may not be where he thought he would be. But a funeral, it's a time when um, life after death, it's on everybody's mind. At a funeral, it's a very easy time to declare the gospel of Christ. And it's an amazing thing to me that the balance, the remainder of our eternity, 
is determined by what we believe. Isn't that amazing? Believing now, not just giving mental assent to, but believing being what we trust in and rely upon. That's what scripture means when they say believe. It means to trust in and rely upon. But Joseph, he is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. He takes no chances with his bones being left in Egypt. For in the mind of Joseph, even though he was the governor of Egypt, Egypt was still an idol-worshiping nation. Egypt being a type of sin in the Old Testament. So the question remains, why is Joseph so concerned about the burial place of his bones? It's important to him. I have mixed emotions about my own funeral. Cremation to me seems so very logical. <laughs> you quickly turn the flesh into a pile of ashes and you're done with it. <laughs> Plus it saves the family a lot of money usually. But it appears that burial of the body... And this dead body awaiting to be resurrected has its merits in Scripture. And here's a great decision for us who grow older. The heritage, the memory that we leave behind for our families, for our friends, it's of great importance. So how will we be remembered? And I've come to a conclusion on this, that God has created in us that divine part of himself giving us a mind that accepts eternity. Ecclesiastes 3 speaks of everything having its time. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die, a time for war, a time for peace. And in my simplistic mind, I can imagine, I can conceive living forever. But I pull a blank on having no beginning. See, I can go eternity future. I can't go eternity past. I just can't phantom that the thought that God always existed goes beyond what I'm really able to comprehend it it does it doesn't make me a bad guy I just can't conceive that but to quote the rest of Ephesians 3 verse 11 he God has made everything beautiful in its time also God has Put eternity in the heart of man. So if you believe in eternity, it's a God-given gift to you. We're not like the animal kingdom. We should consider eternity. I was asked by an unbelieving relative one time, why in the world did I choose to be a pastor and what was my purpose in being a pastor. 
And it made me think. Well, it's a good life. Pays good. You know? No. I said, I get to try to make people realize there is an eternity. And where will you be in your eternity? Hezekiah, in chapter 38 of Isaiah, you may want to turn there, is one of the few good kings of Judah. But Hezekiah, he... He becomes sick, he falls ill, and he's near death. And his illness, well, it's severe. Isaiah the prophet comes to him with bad news. But let's read Isaiah 38, 1 through 5. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall and prayed to the Lord. And he said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go tell Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. When Isaiah receives the news, or when Hezekiah receives the news of his death, he prays and he reminds God of his loyalty to God. I've been a good king, Lord. Why should I die? And Hezekiah weeps bitterly. God sends word to Isaiah the prophet, and he says, Go tell Hezekiah, I have heard his prayer and seen his tears and will add 15 years to his life. Quite the prayer, quite the response by God. The king of Babylon hears of Hezekiah's recovery and sends Hezekiah a good get well uh, card and gift. And Hezekiah uh, receives this through the messengers from Babylon. Hezekiah, he's pleased with this gift from Babylon. And he takes these messengers, these these emissary of Babylon... from the king, and he goes and he shows them all the treasuries in the house of Israel. All the silver, all the gold, all the precious ointments, plus his armory. There was nothing that Hezekiah did not show these Babylon messengers. Let me read you verses 3 through 7 in chapter 39. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? From where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that I have, all that is mine. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. 
Behold, the days are coming when all that your house and what your fathers have accumulated with this until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they, and they shall take away some of your sons who, you, who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah, he does not weep or mourn at his foolishness of showing these Babylonian messengers all of his treasures. He declared to his, uh, Isaiah, I have shown them everything. Isaiah tells Hezekiah, bad move. <laughs> bad move, king. All your treasures, everything that you think is so wonderful, will be carried off to Babylon. And some of your sons will become eunuchs of service in the palaces of Babylon. Hezekiah has a reaction. And it's not a reaction of mourning or weeping. He doesn't pray as when he fell ill. When he was sick, he wept and prayed to the Lord. But let's look at verse 8 of chapter 39 and read Hezekiah's response. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, At least there will be peace and truth in my days. That's a head-scratcher. <laughs> Hezekiah tells Isaiah, the word of the Lord is good. At least there would be peace and truth in my days. And Isaiah can't believe his ears. What has this supposedly good king of Judah said? We read this verse and we go, what? <laughs> Hezekiah was so weak emotionally about his own sickness, but now he is extremely callous, even uncaring towards the treasures, the wealth of Israel. And Hezekiah shows no regard, no love or concern that his own sons would become eunuchs and slaves in the courts of Babylon. How can Hezekiah say, well, good, at least my life will be peaceful and full of truth? It's amazing. Hezekiah sounds like our modern-day politicians who care nothing about the future of America only for today. Don't get me going on that issue. <laughs> the attitude of Hezekiah is shocking for his lack of concern for his own sons, his own descendants, and the people that he rules over. It's alarming, the attitude of Hezekiah. But turn to First Chronicles. I don't want to leave you with a bad example. I want to give you a good example. Turn to First Chronicles 17 
and we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 27. We're going to be talking about David. First Chronicles 17, 1. Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in the house that da David said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. David wants to build a temple for the Lord, and Nathan the prophet gives him his blessings ahead of time. But it happened that night that the word of God, the word of God came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, You shall not build me a house to dwell in. You have spoken out of turn, Nathan. David will not be allowed to build me a house. Verse 5. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought up Israel, even to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wherever I have moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God is saying, Have I ever asked for you to build me a house? Now therefore, therefore, thus says, Thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following this sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a name like the name of great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded the judges to be over my people Israel, also I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house, or build you a name for yourself. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up um, your seed after you, and will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him, as I took it away from him who was before you. And I will establish him in my house, in my kingdom forever. His throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Nathan gives David the good news. God will establish your house, your name, your lineage forever. Your son Solomon, he will be allowed to build me a house. But more than Solomon, God's going to establish his throne through your lineage, David, and one of your descendants, David, is going to be Messiah. 
David has a reaction to this, verse 16. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come, and have regarded me according to the rank of men of high degree, O Lord God. What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant, for you know your servant? O Lord, for your servant's sake, according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that you have heard with our, all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on the earth, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for yourselves a name by great and awesome deeds, by driving out nations from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. For you have made your people Israel your own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, let it be established forever. And do as you have said. So let it be established that your name may be magnified before forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray before you. And now, Lord, you are God, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. David asked God, Who am I, O Lord, that you should honor me like this? David is overwhelmed at the goodness of God to him. Compare that to Hezekiah's response. Hezekiah has had no regard for his own sons that will come after him and they will become slaves to the Babylonians. Hezekiah was a person who lived a life what's in it for me. David is honored by God in a great way. God's own son will come through the lineage of David. God said of David, He is a man after my own heart. We don't read what God had to say about Hezekiah. But the fact that Hezekiah has no regard for his sons, for the people he ruled over, does not speak well of Hezekiah. So God cares. 
He cares about you, and He cares about me, and He cares about what we leave behind for as a reputation. He cares that we serve Him with a joyful heart. God wants us to be good parents, and what better day do we have to say this than on Mother's Day? Maybe I should give this on Father's Day, too. <laughs> but God cares. He cares about our children. He cares about our grandchildren and their children. So it behooves us to live a life of example, a Christian life before our families. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. Father God, we're... We're sort of astonished at Hezekiah's response when he's told that the treasures of Israel will be taken to Babylon, and that his own sons will become slaves in the courts of the Babylonians. And he simply says, good, it's not going to happen to me nor in my day. And we're, we're taken back by that, Lord. So, Lord, we would ask that we would, by your Spirit, live a life before our children, before our grandchildren, that is honorable, that is God-serving life, a good example to the next generation. Help us, Lord God, to be more concerned about our children and our grandchildren than we are about ourselves. Lord, we don't want to be like Hezekiah in any way, but we want to be like David, who, was, who said to you, Who am I that you should bless me so? Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Go before us. Here we are on Mother's Day, thinking about being good parents and thinking about uh, the beauty of motherhood and just being a good example. So give our mothers... A great day. We pray that they would be recognized in their families as good moms. Uh, so bless us in that way, Lord, and go before us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.